All right, well, I'm going to preach a message this morning um, on the love of God, message entitled The Refreshing Love of God. And uh, we've been really leaning in, we've been pressing pretty hard on messages about holiness and repentance and, and really just living unashamedly for Jesus and getting rid of the, the sway of the world in our lives. And as I was praying this week, really felt like the Lord wanted me to, to just personally come back to the main thing. The main thing being that God's love is what sustains us, it's what compels us, it's what controls us. And wanting to really just share that with our spiritual family, just bring us back to that place of revelation in his love. So I'm gonna pray one more time and, uh, and we're gonna take a look at the word. So Lord, we love you, we thank you for your word. We ask you right now to release revelation on the word. Open the eyes of our understanding release light, and I ask you, Lord, would you stand with me here, hold my hand, let me speak as your oracle, and unpack the truth of your affections for us, and give us insight into how we can live refreshed in the love of God on a daily basis. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Well, today's a special day for me. Um, October 13th, uh, I I think I'm right in this, 31 years ago, October 13th, uh, I made Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. Yeah, I was, uh, amen. I was at a college outreach and I'd heard messages on Jesus as Savior. I'd never heard anyone preach that you need to make Jesus Lord. And I remember when that message came forth, it went right through me. I thought, this has been the missing element in my life. Because when you live with him as savior, you kind of just go along doing everything you did before, asking him to bail you out. But when you live with him as Lord, you say, okay, every day of my life, I'm not living for me anymore. I'm living for you. And it was a radical shift for me. I got baptized that night, confessed Jesus as the Lord of my life, and haven't looked back since. And uh, that was 31 years ago today, huge milestone for me. And, um, and this morning, what I'm gonna teach on, it is truly, in those 31 years, the number one revelation that has touched and changed my life. Um, and for years and years and years, I lived serving God with him as the Lord of my life without a recognition of his radical affections for me and not understanding that it's God's love for us that actually compels us to then turn around and love him. And then as a response of love, we just obey everything. I was trying to do Jesus as Lord without doing Jesus as the one that loves me. I tried to do that for a decade of my Christianity. And I was working so hard to prove to God that he was my Lord and that I loved him and I had almost no revelation that he loved me. You mean, I, I knew the song, I remembered it from, you know, Sunday school, Jesus loves me this, I know because the Bible, for the Bible tells me so. Like I remembered the song, but I'm talking about living alive in the revelation 
of the love of God that carries and sustains your soul. And what I found was this, that if I don't live in that revelation on literally a daily basis, my heart, it begins to dry up. And all of a sudden, my Christianity doesn't make as much sense anymore. If I live outside the love of God, the revelation of his love for me, all of a sudden, things don't seem to click anymore. They don't seem to make sense anymore. And it's because we were made to live by love, by love, not by rules. Hear me. We were made to live by love, not by regulations, not by rules, not by church systems, by love. Living by love, led by the Spirit, will call you into radical obedience. And I love to say it this way, a lover will outwork a worker 10 times out of 10. If my wife says, hey, uh, can you do this for me? Even if I'm feeling tired, whatever, not interested in doing whatever, because I love her, it will move my heart to, yeah, baby, you just tell me what you need. But if she told me, hey, I'll pay you $8 an hour to do this for me, I'm like, baby, my time's worth a lot more than eight bucks an hour. But if she says, I have nothing to give you, but I'm asking you, would you do this for me? Because I'm in love, it compels me. It's easy to say yes. Beloved, that's just a small picture of how we're supposed to live with God. Alive in his love, his love moving our hearts, and then from that place of the revelation of his love, radical in obedience. It takes his love that, that changes us, that enables us, uh, to enable us to obey him. So I want to talk about this. I want to talk about how do we live refreshed in the love of God. We've been preaching messages that are stirring our hearts to urgency, recognizing that the sway of the world is growing and that wickedness is growing and that the end of the age is coming. And here's what I want to tell you. The teeth that you need to be able to chew that so that you can digest the truths of the difficulties in the world today, the teeth that you need is the revelation of the love of God. Because if you don't think if you don't think from the place of his affections towards you, the, the negativity, the difficulty will overwhelm you. And what we have to get down to is we live made for love, compelled by love, and for the love of God. That's how we live. Because ultimately, he's taking us to a very, very special moment. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. I like to say it this way. If you're not at a wedding, the story's not over. Keep, keep going. If you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, don't stay there. <laughs> a lot of people get in the valley of the shadow of death and they go, it's over. I go, no, I promise it's not over. <laughs> keep walking because in a minute you're going to be at a wedding. You're going to be at a wedding. And that's my destiny and that's your destiny. Our destiny is to be, listen, a comparable partner to be married to Jesus forever. 
This is your destiny. Your destiny isn't your earthly job or your vocation or any kind of ministry calling you do on this side before you die. That is not your destiny. Your destiny, hear me, is to be joined to Jesus Christ in intimacy and love at what the Bible calls the marriage supper of the Lamb forever. This is your destiny. And what we need to be thinking about is as we live on this side of that day, as we live doing our ministry calling or our vocation or our family life in this age, how are we allowing the love of God to transform us so that we'll be a comparable bride for the Son of God? And this is what this, this life is about. It's really about allowing the love of God to so transform you that it compels your actions, your thoughts, your words, and that it, it literally reduces your heart so that love is every movement of your own heart. Praise God. So Song of Solomon chapter 2 the maiden in Song of Solomon, she represents the, the bride of Christ. And, and, and the, the beloved, the, the bridegroom in Solomon, Song of Solomon represents Jesus. And she, in Song of Solomon 2, she has come out of this season of difficulty and, and she's experiencing the love of the bridegroom and she prays this simple prayer. She says, man, this, this is so good. Your love is so good. She prays this simple prayer. She says, sustain me and refresh me, for I am lovesick. Sustain me and refresh me, for I am lovesick. And, and if I could just, I, I like to just simplify things for you. If you can make this the movement of your heart as it relates to the, the revelation of the love of God, I'm telling you, it will carry you through every day. It will carry you your whole life. She's saying, sustain me in your love of God. Sustain me in the revelation of your affections. In other words, I want you to continue to reveal your affections to me. Let me continue to live alive in the affections of God. And then she says, and refresh me. If it ever grows cold, if it ever grows old, I want you to renew it to me. Sustain me and refresh me. And then she makes this important statement, which is really all of our, it's our destiny. She says, I am lovesick. I am lovesick. And being lovesick is, is really how we're, we're created to live. Lovesick for God. I just want to throw this out there. If God who is love, he says, I am, I am love. God is love. If God, who is love, loves you, if you experience love from the one who's uncreated and perfect and infinite, if you experience love from him, it has to be the highest experience of pleasure there is in all creation. In other words, if the love of God for you is like, of course God loves me. I know, he, I know he loves me. I know he loves me. Then I'm telling you, you're actually not contacting the real stuff. Because the real stuff is so potent that it will rock your world. 
It will change the way you think. It will change the way you think about yourself. It will change the way you think about others. It will change the whole trajectory of your life. It will change what you're actually after. Being loved by God, who is the greatest lover there is, is the highest experience in all creation. And beloved, that's what we're to live by. And when she says, I am lovesick, she's saying, I am completely addicted to the love of God. And beloved, that's how we're supposed to live. Completely overwhelmed, completely intoxicated, completely addicted to the love of God. With that being the chief compelling motivator of our heart. And so often other things... They, they find their way into our affections. They find their way into our motivations. And we live searching for other things because we think those other things are going to give us a, a sense of pleasure or accomplishment or, or some kind of achievement. And what we don't realize is none of those things are actually going to satisfy our souls. Your soul was woven together by the God who is love to respond most acutely to his love. Catch that point. You're made by the one who is love to respond to love. Love is the greatest motivator of the human heart. That's why it says the love of Christ compels us. That's how we live is by this revelation of love. So when she says, sustain me, refresh me, I am wrecked. I am lovesick. I can't live without love. Love is the thing that I want the most. Love is the thing that will motivate and motor my heart more than anything else. Love is my ambition and love is my destiny. She says, I am ruined for anything but love. And I wanna tell you something, the destiny for the church, the destiny for the bride of Christ is to be completely lovesick. Before this thing is over, Jesus will have a bride who is so wrecked in love, so overwhelmed in love. I promise you, he's not coming back for a disinterested bride. He's not coming back for a bride that's got 15 boyfriends. He's not. He's coming back for a bride who is messed up in love who can't live without him, who will not allow other things to have her affections and attentions. And beloved, the only way you can get to that place of radical abandonment to the love of God is by experiencing the affections of God upon you. Listen, we love him because he first loved us. And so our heart of love back to God is as a response of the revelation of his love impacting our own souls. All right, so in the notes, I, I, I kind of just break this down about being lovesick, and, and I just put it as two things. One is you want God more than you want anything else. A billion dollars, uh, I don't even know what to top a billion dollars. A billion dollars. 
because you can basically buy whatever else I would just name. Whatever temporal treasure, you want God's love more than that. You, you want God's love more than a, 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 a platform or the approval of men. You, you, you want God's love more than notoriety or power. You want God's love more than anything else. That's living in that place where love sickness is beginning to, to capture your heart. I want you more than anything. And then the second thing is, you want him more than anything and you're unwilling to settle for anything less. Because so often I see people and they get touched with the revelation of God's love. They get moved. God loves me. Oh man, this is moving me. And then what they do is after a while, that becomes an ache on the inside of them. How many know what I'm talking about? I want God's love. And it's, it's causing your heart to ache. And then you're living in that ache, that desire, that longing for God. And then what happens is the ache begins to grow. And, and the more you, you hunger for him, the more you receive. And then in that transaction, you realize there's so much more. So, you know, you start off, you're hungering for him at a level five. You receive two. But in that receiving of two, you realize there's actually 10 available. So whereas you were minus three, now you're minus eight, even though you're two further. Did you follow that? And then you go to 10, you go, oh, I'm hungry for you. He goes, I'm going to double it. You go to four. But once you receive God's love at a level four, you realize there's not 10 available. There's 20. You're minus 16. <laughs> and that's life in this age. The more you receive, the more you realize there is, and the hungrier you become, and man, that's being lovesick right there. And what happens is, as your love quotient grows negatively by receiving more, some of the mathematicians are right there with me. You guys that were bad at math, you're going like, what the heck is he talking about right now? All of a sudden, that ache, it grows deeper and deeper and deeper. And you go, I, I, I'm not doing this. I just give me that Netflix. Give me that Netflix. <laughs> and you, do, you, you stuff anything in there to anesthetize the ache. You'll you put anything in there to stop your heart from longing. Food, entertainment, relationships, work, ministry, I, I see this in ministers all the time. They get busy about ministry so they don't have to deal with God. Christians do that all the time. They run right past God to go work for God. They do. And they imagine as they're scurrying past God and going to work for God that somehow that equals they've now really had an interchange of love with God. And what they've done is they've, they've turned their love life with God into a, really, it's a servant's life of a servant trying to please a master. And he actually says in Hosea 2, he goes, I don't want you to call me my master. I want you to call me my husband. He goes, I'm gonna take the name of master from your mouth. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to 
put my name in your mouth, husband. There's so many verses in the scripture about this that we're all on a journey to a wedding. Isaiah 54 says, your maker is your husband. Your maker is your husband. I don't know what you're looking forward to. I mean, some in this room, you're, you're expecting a baby or a grandbaby. Some in this room, you're hoping to get married here shortly. Some in this room, you have something exciting getting ready to happen. You're gonna take a vacation or you're gonna see family or you know maybe you're gonna get a promotion. There's something in front of you that's positive. And I wanna tell you, all those things are, are, are nice, but there is something so much greater that's in front of you It's called the marriage supper of the lamb. And you're going to be married to divinity forever. The whole of this life is coming to know that one that we're going to spend eternity with and falling radically in love with him. Allowing his love to completely transform our lives till every action, every word, and every thought is as a response of this revelation. God loves you. He made you to love you. He made you because he wanted your heart. He wants your affections. He wants you to know his affections for you, and he wants you to respond to those affections with a heart pouring out love. This is for men and women. You know, I, I, I teach the bridegroom message often, and, and oftentimes and there's men in the room, and, and it's the first time they've heard it. They're like, okay, I, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, but I'm not wearing a wedding dress. You can't make me. I'm just not. Can we teach it a different way? Well, I would teach it a different way if it wasn't in the Bible. And so we always just have to swallow this point. Men and women together, we are the bride of Christ. Men and women together, we are the sons of God. It is what it is. And that's just the the terminology that God uses to speak to us of a much greater truth, that there is an infinite joining between us and God. We're living in what's called the betrothal. It's more than an engagement. We are promised and we are secure, but the day of consummation has not yet come. And oh, for that day when we see his face. Oh, for that day when we look into the eyes of fire for the very first time. Oh, for that day when we're joined to him forever. Beloved, this is your future. This is your destiny. And so I I put in the notes a, a few thoughts about Do we need a fresh encounter with the love of God? And how do you know when you need a fresh encounter with the love of God? And I'm just gonna run through these quickly because I wanna give you a tool that you can use in your prayer time to be able to just refresh on a regular basis in the revelation of his love. So how do we know we need a, a fresh encounter with the love of God? Firstly, if we see or we believe that God's love is based on our good works, we need a fresh encounter with the love of God. I wanna say boldly to you, God does not love you more when you do well, and he does not love you any less when you do poorly. Hear me, hear me. God does not love you any more when you do well, and he doesn't love you any less when you do poorly. 
I can illustrate it 15 different ways from scripture, but the easiest is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, everyone who is in opposition to him, bound under sin and in hatred of God. God so loved them that he was willing to give Jesus. Romans 5, 8, while we were yet sinners, God loved us and sent Jesus to die for us. You can't improve on God loves you. There's no sort of thing you can muster up to get God to, well, he loves me a plus. No, he loves you. Somebody's like, well, I know God loves me, but it's a C minus love. I mean, I'm bad. I'm fair to partly Midland. That's what I am. No, no, that's not how it works. God's love is not dependent upon your performance. Listen, it's not even dependent upon your holiness. Hear me. When you jack up and you step into sin, God loves you at the same level. That moment that you stepped into sin, that he loved you the moment when you were living holy. Are you hearing me? The love of God is not based on your performance. If you think that the the better you do, God loves you more, or the worse you do, God loves you less, you do not know the love of God. You're operating in a servant or slave mentality. You're not operating as one who's beloved of God. Sin does not make God love us less. Poor performance does not make God love us less. God loves us based on something that's unchangeable. Ready? God loves us based on God. (laughs) He loves you based on him. And God is love. And you can't make him not love you. He loves you. He's radical in love with you. He's fiery in love with you. He made you to love you, not to get something out of you. How do we know we need a refresher in the love of God? One, if we see God's love is based on our performance. Number two, if we think God loves other people more than he loves us. You know, you'd never answer that on a, on a test. You never go like, well, Dustin, he's like drunk in the spirit all the time. God loves him. But me, sober. God doesn't love me. You'd never answer that on a test. You know that's not true, but inside you, you might think that. That person seems to experience a lot of the favor of God. They seem to have so many good things going on for them. They seem to be in a, in a channel of ease with God. But me, it's hard. It's difficult. I'm an Atlanta sports fan. <laughs> it's just hard. And I want to tell you something. The difficulty of your life is not a measure nor determinant of the love of God for you. He's the one that sees the end from the beginning. And I'll tell you something. I've heard so many testimonies, so many people, 25 years of ministry, you get to hear a lot of stuff. And I've had so many conversations with the person and they're like breaking down all the difficulty of their life. 
and, they're, and they're, there they are, and they're in a place where they're, they're trying to serve God, they're trying to love God, and their life has been so hard. And there they are melting down because they just want to love God. And, and they're saying, look at all my circumstances, look what it's produced, and I'll say this, what it's produced is a person sitting in front of me right now who wants God more than anything. And I don't understand the way that God mixes all the ingredients, but I do know this, that he only allows the things into our lives that will make for better. And better equaling that will bring us to a place of love. For real. Just because someone else has what appears to be ease compared to your difficulty, it doesn't mean God loves them more than you. It just means he's got a different mixture for you. Some of us, we won't understand the ingredients until after we get there. And then we'll look back at all the myriad challenges and difficulties, all the difficult ingredients that have happened into our life, and we'll see the perfection of God's plan to bring us into abandonment in love through all the trials and all the challenges. Hello, sometimes he has to hedge us in with thorns. Hosea 2, he says that. He goes, I hedge you in with thorns. Because if I turn to the left, he goes, I need you to feel what it's like without me. And, and then I turn to the right, ow! He goes, I needed you to know what that was like. Because I don't want you to have ultimate destruction. I want you to feel the pain of trying to turn your own way. So he goes, that's harsh. I go, that's love. If you're speeding your car off a cliff and I jump in front of you with a shotgun and start taking out your tires, that might seem crazy, but it is love because I don't want you to be destroyed. We need a refreshing in the love of God if we believe that God only loves us to get something out of us. Some of us think that God is just trying to make us into his, his little puppet, his little butler, his little servant, his little maid. And God only loves us to try to get us to do something. And here's how, how you can know if you have that mentality. If you're experiencing the presence of the Lord, and every time you experience the refreshing presence of the Lord, you start going, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? He goes, I don't want you to do anything. I want you to sit there and be loved by me. I'm not loving you to try to get you to do something. I'm loving you because I want to love you. What if when my daughter, who's nine, what if every time she jumped on my lap, which I'm grateful she still does all the time, but what if every time she jumped on my lap and I hugged her up and kissed her up and then she turned to me and goes, what do you want me to do, daddy? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What's your will for my life? I'd be like, baby, I don't want you to do anything. No, tell me. There's got to be something you want me to do. I'd be going, honey, easy, settle down. And if she stayed with it, we'd be going to the counselor. Am I making sense? The infinite God knows exactly how to get you where he wants to get you. And he doesn't have to tell you everything he wants to do. And he's not hugging you and pouring his presence on you and pouring his love on you only to try to get you to do something. 
He just wants your heart. We know we need a refresher in the love of God if our hearts are dull. If we're just dull, other things are more enjoyable to us than God. If you just, the spark is, is low, the, the flame is low, 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 and you're in this lull with God, and you're just they're looking for other things to try to stimulate your affections and your, your emotions, and you're, you're just not interested right now, and you're just in that, that kind of that middle in place. You need a, fresh, a refreshing in the love of God. So what I did was this. I, I went through Song of Solomon chapter one this week, and I identified several different prayers that she prays in this chapter. And what I want to do is I want to give them to us as a tool in our next 15 minutes to just give them to you as a tool that you can use in your personal time with the Lord this week, this month, throughout the year, whatever, as a way to just sort of kickstart you into that place of being refreshed and, re and being sustained. So let's look at Song of Solomon chapter 1, verse 2, the beginning of the book. Now again, this is an allegory. It's figurative. It speaks of the relationship between Jesus, our bridegroom, and us. And so verse 2, it says this, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is better than wine. Because of the fragrance of your good ointments or your perfumes, your name is ointment poured forth. Therefore, the virgins love you. Draw me away. We will run after you or let us run together. The king has brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in you. We will remember your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. Verse 5, I am dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. All right, I want to give you five prayers that you can pray right from this passage that will help refresh your heart in the love of God. First one, let him kiss me with the kisses of his word. Kiss me with the kisses of your word. I pray that prayer regularly. That, that term for mouth could either be translated mouth or word. So sometimes, you know, you're a guy or whatever, and you think, oh, man, Song of Solomon, verse 2, I'm out. I'm tapping out right there. I don't want Jesus kissing me on the lips. I'm, I'm just done. But it's actually an allegory. Okay, so stay with me on it. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his word. He's talking about that that kiss of divine revelation that touches your heart. You know when you're reading the Bible sometimes and, and you're, you're looking at the words and maybe it's something you've read 50 or 100 times and all of a sudden, boom, something pops off the page and it just touches you. And, and, and so many times it'll touch you in such a deep way. And, and this happens to me all the time. It'll move me and then I'll grab a few people and go, man, I got to tell you this. And they're like, uh-huh. And what, I, what am I doing? I'm trying to share with them this revelation I got, but it's not hitting them. Why? Because he kissed my heart with it. And I'm telling you, the Lord wants to touch your heart constantly with the word of God. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. This thing is alive. Sometimes I'm sitting there holding the Bible and I'm in shock. I'm like, this thing is alive, man. It's like reading me. I'm trying to read this book and the book is reading me. Jesus, the word, is ministering to me. And so that prayer, let him kiss me with the kisses of his word. I'll pray that. I'll just sit there and I'll say, Father, I'm asking for revelation. Let Jesus kiss my heart with revelation from the word. 
Open my eyes to see wonderful things from your law. Enlighten the understanding of my, of my eyes, of my mind. Enlighten me so I can understand you. I can have a, a, a revealed connection with you. Spirit of wisdom and revelation, touch me again. See, it's a sustain me, refresh me kind of a prayer. Open my eyes that I can see you rightly. I don't want a delusion of who you are. I, these, are these are the prayers I pray. I don't want an, an illusion, an imagination that I'm imagining something about you that's not true of you. Kiss my heart with revelation. Let me see you as you are. I want to know your ways. I want to know your thoughts. I want to know your feelings. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? Kiss me with revelation. I'm telling you, take that verse to prayer and just say it to him a hundred different ways. The way I like to do it, I'll just say that phrase, kiss me with the kisses of your word, and then I'll just rephrase it 50 different times. Sometimes I'll just pour it out of my mouth. Sometimes I'll just type it. And I'm praying while I'm typing. I'm just pouring it out to the Lord. And then I'll slow down. I'll go, I'll go release revelation of my heart. Who are you? What are you like? I need to see you. Turn my eyes from worthless things. Kiss me with the kisses of your word. And I'm telling you, you know it. There's been those times, man, and you're reading the word and it is jumping off the page at you. And you're, and you're like, God is speaking to me through the Bible. God is speaking. This is shocking. I mean, have you ever? Like he, like he sees me right now. And so often we'll be in the prayer room and, and I'll be meditating on a verse and the little person up will be doing a, a, a worship you know, song or a, a devotional kind of worship and they'll start singing and, and, and and I'll be reading something, I'll just be meditating on it, and they'll switch right to the verse that I'm on with no knowledge that I'm looking at that verse. I'm going, ah, you're real. You saw me. He goes, oh, yeah. I go, yes, you're touching my heart. Touch me. Touch me again. Kiss me with the kisses of your word. Second, she says, your love is better than wine. Beloved, we have to settle this. Wine speaks of all the worldly pleasures, all the things the world would offer to try to inebriate and anesthetize our hearts, to, to try to give us joy and pleasure. And he says, she, she says, your love is better than wine. Have you ever settled that with the Lord? Have you ever just closed your eyes and said, your love is better than anything? It's better than a husband. It's better than a wife. It's better than a billion dollars. It's better than a promotion. It's better than a house, a new car. It's better than being affirmed. It's better than that person getting what they deserve, whatever. Your love is better than wine. And I'll sit there and I'll tell him, I'll go, Lord, I feel my heart. It's, it's going, it's, it's wandering. It's growing wanton. I'm, I'm looking for other things. Tell me again. Show me how your love is better. I need your love. Your love is better than wine. Inebriate me, intoxicate me. Your love is the greatest treasure. There's nothing this world can offer. Nothing compares. There's no allure that's greater than your love. Make it real to me again. You know, the Lord never grows tired 
of pouring his love on you? Do you know how I know that? Because love, God's love is infinite. And God's love, the first attribute of the love of God is love is patient. He's infinitely patient. So you can ask him 100,000 times and he's just getting started. I tell him all the time, tell me again. And God never looks at me and goes, I already told you 4,732 times. And then there was that one point fiver. I mean, he never does that to me because his love is infinite and it's infinitely patient. And he'll tell you as many times as you need to hear it. Your love is better than wine. Pour it on me again, God. Pour it on me again. Thirdly, I got to teach this a little bit. He says, your name is like ointment poured out, like oil poured forth. It's talking about perfume. The ancients used to perfume themselves with these, these rarefied ointments, and these, these rarefied oils. And, and if you think of like, like Mary, when she pours out the oil and it, the aroma fills the house, he says, your, she says, your name is like oil poured out. There's an aroma that comes off of you. And see, the name of God is the nature of God. And what this passage is actually saying is who you are, the attributes of your heart, the, the, very, the, the very myriad details of, of what you're like, when, when it becomes known in a place, it fills that place. Your name, your nature, it's like oil, it's like perfume poured out. And I prayed this morning that even as we came to church in this facility, that the name and the nature of God, like, like perfume, like fragrant perfume, would fill the, the hallways and fill the sanctuaries and fill the classrooms of this whole place. The name and the nature of our God, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, abounding in loving kindness and truth forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. The nature of our beautiful God is merciful and kind and gentle and loving and just. Fill this place with the knowledge of who you are. And I'll say, your name, it's like ointment poured out. Pour it out on me. Pour out the nature of God on me. I want to look like you. I want to smell like you. Have you ever been around that person? You get with them and you're like, man, what are you, what are you into? Because you can, there's a fragrance. I'm not talking about they put on too much cologne. That guy, that, not that guy. I'm talking about, I'm talking about you get around them and there is a smoke of the knowledge of God that's coming off of them. And you feel like when you touch them, you touch something transcendent. Do you know what I'm talking about? You, you, you know, you just, you, you're like, could you hug me? Because <laughs> whatever is on you, I want it on me. And they, they're carrying what the scripture says, what Paul says. He goes, we are the aroma of Christ. Man, why? Because he's poured his nature upon us. Oh, I go, pour it out. Pour out your name on me, your presence, your attributes. Your name is your nature. You're pure and rare. You're beautiful. Pour out your name and your nature upon me. I want to know what you're like. And then she says, draw me away. Let us run together. When I feel my heart drifting, I pray this prayer. I go, draw me. 
draw me. I'm drawing near to you, draw near to me. Draw me like a magnet. And I'll say that, I'll go, you're magnetic to my frame. You made me to be attracted to you. Oh, just let me see you a little bit. So I'm like attracted to you. Like like the flies to the light. I just, oh God, you, you are made to pull me in. Now draw me, draw me. Refresh me, sustain me, draw me. I wanna run with you, God. I wanna run with you. Let us run together. Everything that's in your mind, I wanna do it with you, God. I wanna do what you do, say what you say. Pull me into your love. I wanna live all my days in your love and follow your will. Draw me away, let us run together. I'm telling you, listen to me. You can live a thousand years trying to find your heart's desire. And if you don't go into the love of God, you will be wanting. It will be lacking. In one half second, we're gonna be looking him in the eye. And oh, I don't wanna look him in the eye and think, you're nothing like what I thought you were. I wanna stare at him as much as I can on this side so I'm so acquainted with him, so filled with the knowledge of him, so alive in love with him so that when I see him, I go, oh, there you are. There you are, my beloved, the one I've lived all my days for. Finally, I am dark but lovely, dark but lovely. This speaks of that that place where we get burned out in our own ways and, and even where we make poor decisions and even that place of sin where we've make it, made decisions that are, that are in, uh, uh, they're op- opposite, they're in opposition to the will of God. And, and this, this burnt out darkness covers our own soul. And, and it's in that place of being dark, being dull, that she's able to actually say, but you love me. Now listen, if in the place of a poor decision, you can't look right at him and say, I know you still love me. Then I wanna tell you something, you do not know the love of God. It's 101 that God loves you in your weakness and in your brokenness. He loves you even in your sin. He doesn't approve of the sin but he loves you in it. And it's the goodness of God in that place of our weakness and in the place of our brokenness that calls us out of sin. And it ends up being the leverage by which we choose not to sin. You know why I don't wanna sin? Because I don't wanna forfeit one second of the love of God. I don't wanna forfeit it. I wanna live alive in the revelation of his love. I wanna live so overwhelmed in it. But this is what's so beautiful about his love that when I step into sin, when I make a poor choice or when I just, when I just perform poorly, I can look right at him. I go, here I am. He goes, I love you ever still. I love you ever still. I go, I turn away from that. I turn to you. He goes, I love you. There's no penance. There's no rosaries. There's no whipping yourself on the back for 25 times or 25 years or whatever it is. I meet so many Christians that live in shame. That's all they live in is shame because they don't know the power of the blood of Jesus that in the moment you repent, in the moment you turn back, he's right there going, I love you. I love you. 
And, and here's what many, many Christians try to do. They, they, they get into sin and then they try to repent and God's going, I love you. And the, the fire of his love is right there for them. And then they go, I know that's not for me yet. So what do I need to do to be able to step back into your affections? I'll do anything. He goes, nothing. You can't do anything. I've already done it. The cross has already done it. You have to step right into my affections right now. There's nothing you can do to earn that. Beloved, this is the love of God. So valuable, so rare, so potent, so life transformational. I am dark, but lovely. I blow it a lot. I make mistakes. I say the wrong thing. I perform poorly. I sin. And in all of it, in all of it, he's radically in love with me. And so I get to live so secure, so affirmed, so alive. In all my days, that's all I desire, to live alive. And I'll just say, I'm weak and riddled with imperfection, but you love me. And you call me beautiful. My flaws don't offend you. So many of us, you think that your, your poor performance or your sin has offended God, like he's just freaked out by you. I, I, I've met, you know, unsaved people and I'll invite them to church and they'll say, oh, I can't go in there. The walls will fall down. I go, yeah, I doubt it. God is infinitely bigger than your little puny sin. If you come in there, he might just wrap himself around you and you'll never be able to escape. Let's, let's be honest, you're scared. <laughs> God's not scared of your sin. You're scared of the God that might love you through the shame. I can't work to make you love me. You love me as I am. Though I'm broken, you love me ever still. Though I'm poor, you love me ever still. Though I'm unworthy, you love me ever still. Beloved, we need a refreshing in the love of God. We need to be alive and whelmed with the love of God. The world is looking for a bride that loves her bridegroom. And the only way that we can become that is by being completely overrun with the love of God. Amen. Amen, amen. Let's stand. We're going to pray. that song I've got on my mind, When I See Your Face, I Wish I'd Give It More. Oh, you don't have it. Whatever you want to do. If you're feeling it. <laughs> All good. Let's just pray for a moment. Father, we love you. Jesus, we love you. And we recognize that we can only love you as a response of your love towards us. So I'm asking right now, Holy Spirit, just blow across this room. I'm so grateful to be able to preach and teach on your love on this anniversary, the day I first came into contact with your Lordship. So come, Holy Spirit. 
Would you blow across this room your name? It's like fragrance poured out. Go ahead, Joy, just sing with it. When I see your face, I wish I'd given more Jesus. Don't let me waste a trial. Don't let me waste a chance to pray. I'm going to fall more in love with you. When I see your face, I wish I'd given more away. We want to be ready for the wedding. So don't let me waste a trial. Don't let me waste a chance to pray. Sustain us. Refresh us in your love. When I see your face, I wish I'd given more away. If you need a, a refreshing in the love of God, I just want to invite you to lift your hands right now. Father, refresh us, renew us. Remind us of the story. Remind us of the story. Our maker is our husband. You're taking us to a wedding. Refresh us even right now. Even touch our hearts right now. Kiss our hearts with the kisses of your word. Pour out your name in this house, your nature. Pour out the perfume of your presence, the fragrance of your presence. Pour it out on us even right now. Sustain me. Refresh me, for I am lovesick. Just sing one more time, Joy. We worship you, Lord. We love you. When I see your face, I wish I'd given more Refresh us in your love. Don't let me waste a trust. Don't let me waste a chance. Your affections. Jesus. When I see your face, I wish I'd given more away. I see you as you are. I want to see you as you are. Don't let me waste a trust. Don't let me waste anything, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we love you. Thank you for refreshing us and sustaining us. Lord, I pray for this, these tools of prayer from Song of Solomon 1, that we'd use them and call our hearts into being lovesick, sustained and refreshed in you. Lord, bless every person as they go today. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.